Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the Pure Football Podcast, the podcast that brings you the stories, the people, stats and rumours about football in Scotland and beyond, by fans, for fans. And this week's a very special episode because it's the, the first episode where I've not been joined with my normal co-host Owen James Brown and there was only one man that we felt was the right person to step into those stat size shoes uh, and we pulled in an absolute expert and all things football manager, sports marketing, and just all-round good guy, Chris Sampson. How you doing? That's quite an introduction. Uh, I don't think I'll, I'll be bringing the same uh, level of stats that, that Owen normally does, unfortunately. But yeah, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. Thank you, Chris. Thanks for giving up your time for us. Um, so just quickly, just um, for any of our listeners who don't know who you are, can you just give us just a quick bit about you? Yeah, sure. So, um, well, you just said, I'm Chris Sampson. I run Sports Marketing Scotland, uh, which is basically just like a website uh, and a Twitter feed. As you said, kind of interested in all things marketing, did my degree in sports marketing, um, graduated a wee while ago now, um, and fast forward a, a good few years back uh, to, to now, um, basically just, yeah, Looking after the what I call the niche within a niche, which is Scottish, <laughs> uh, Scottish football, and then marketing within kind of Scottish football and Scottish sport. I love it. I love it. And uh, you run your own podcast. That's right. Uh, well, I, I, we do it with the Scottish FA. Um, so I go to Hamden quite regularly uh, and record with Michael Bocal, who is a digital manager at the Scottish FA, um, and that's the Scottish Football Marketing Podcast. Um, it's mainly aimed at the clubs just to try and like help them and improve their marketing. Uh, basically, well, improve everything off the pitch really, but but mainly predominantly marketing. Um, yeah, and I, I love doing that as well. I think it's it like when I when I started the kind of sports marketing squad, I didn't really imagine that I'd be doing anything with the Scottish FA and and so closely and being able to kind of record that and and get it out and try and help the clubs as best as possible. Is, is just awesome uh, and we've had some really good feedback from from a lot of the clubs up and down the, the pyramid as well so that's that's cool that's excellent that's um i guess that's m- must feel really rewarding that um you're giving back to clubs in, in quite an important way i guess because you're helping them drive revenue to an extent yeah totally uh, i think yeah we'll go on to like kind of how uh, important marketing is later on i'm sure but but yeah there's there's so much that clubs can do and, and so much that they they don't do, but there is the opportunities there for them. Um, and yeah, it's good to kind of get across some of my experiences, some of my observations. Obviously, uh, like sports marketing stuff is just a hobby for me. Um, I, I do work in marketing, but I work for Skyscanner, so it's a little bit of my experience, um, but also from the outside looking in as well, which I think is quite quite important sometimes to, to kind of not be involved in it on a day-to-day basis, because uh, you can get kind of wrapped up in it, I think, sometimes too. Yeah, t- totally, totally. Um, so, Chris, you mentioned there um, that Sports Market Scotland is a website, but most importantly, a Twitter handle for anyone um, who doesn't know where you, you are on Twitter. Can you tell us where they can get you? Yeah, sure. So, it's at Sports Market School. Um, I really wish Twitter would bring in like longer uh, handles so that I can fit Scotland. Uh, on there it's really annoying <laughs> but but yeah it's sports market school on twitter and then the website uh, sports marketing scotland.co.uk so recently during the week i posted a question on what would people rather send to the mariana trench was it var or mike ashley and var just won that 
But this week, Chris, I want to know what would you want to send to the Mariana Trench if you could send anything? Yeah, I think VAR is obviously the obvious one there, um, especially after the Women's World Cup. Oh, my God. Kind of like how it treated Scotland during the group stages and beyond. But yeah, I think one of my biggest pet hates at the moment, uh, and it's very relevant to, to kind of what's happened today when we're recording this, but it's the, the non-Scottish clubs being in the Challenge Cup. Okay, yeah, it's, um, it is pretty ridiculous to be honest but yeah so that takes us straight on to the the Tunnock's Caramel Waiver Cup um do you think that we've seen the Carabao Cup draw being done in Morrison's and thought how can we top this so um we thought Tunnock's Caramel Wafer we didn't even choose the right Tunnock product so yeah what's your what's your thoughts then on the on the Tunnock's Caramel Wafer Cup I feel like I need to emphasize that every time I say it oh yeah definitely you need to get you need to get the brand name in there for them to <laughs> to, to earn their sponsorship um but yeah I think like on the whole I absolutely love Tunnock's coming on board to sponsor it like I think uh, with Iron Brew obviously with it I think it's been the last couple of seasons as well I think it's like it's really really cool that these really kind of historic Scottish brands want to sponsor the competition um, and for me there's a bit of like a positive and a negative of it because there's probably a reason why they're coming on board to sponsor it now and that is that cross-border aspect um, because they probably see it as like an easy way to, to get their brand names and their products promoted outside of Scotland which is obviously they don't just want to be shoehorned into our population buying their products they, they obviously want to grow as well so um it's a good way for them to do it but like i said i'd rather the non-scottish clubs weren't involved um in the competition um but but yeah i think on the whole i like it i think it'd be good if it was maybe just tunnock's challenge cup rather than one specific product yeah i agree with that but yeah i think yeah that would be that would be what i'm chucking in the mariana trench but <laughs> i do i do like tunnock's being the new sponsor um yeah absolutely i, I agree with you and the point you raised there about it being you know, quite a um historic scottish product uh and a continuation from iron brew i never really thought of that which i think is pretty cool um now that you've pointed it out and i think you're spot on as well originally i was quite excited to see what the irish welsh and uh english teams would bring to the competition but it's it doesn't work it's just plain and simple it doesn't work um it's not financially feasible for our clubs to be traveling um bringing a couple of hundred people um you know down to to places in England or across the the sea to Ireland. Yeah, I was I was gonna say that like I think there's there's been some chat of like some of the clubs like losing money, yeah, participating in the competition, which is which shouldn't be happening really. And then you had obviously East Fife traveling to Ireland last year and the match getting called off like minutes before it was due to start as well. So um, there's been a few kind of farcical stories around it um, with the, the kind of non-Scottish clubs being involved. And I guess with with those sort of you know this that story sticking out for the competition, I guess it's more important than ever to ensure that you get the right marketing and promotion of the of the tournament itself because right now it's got quite a lot of uh, negative associations with it at the moment. Yeah, I think like if they really wanted uh, the biggest thing from I think it's Neil God- Neil Doncaster that's kind of pushing it is that cross border aspect, and I don't really think that the competition needed to be broken in the way it has been like I think it was probably fine before um, I've spoken about this quite a bit previously too um, I actually was in a Copa 90 video about it at one point which was, pre- which was pretty mental um, 
but uh, I, I think the competition is it's there for the lower league clubs to be having a chance of them winning a trophy um, and we've seen some amazing stories obviously Ross County last season won a double yeah um, which is which is pretty cool to see coming from the championship um, and, and luckily they beat they beat Kona's key um, to, to win that so I think them doing that in the final it's not going to encourage UEFA to create like a third European competition no. or to make clubs in the Scandinavian region uh, turn around and say that they need to break away from their leagues and like join up with Rangers and Celtic to form a cross-border Super League yeah. Um, so I, yeah I think the, the kind of reasoning behind it uh, and then the whole other story of the Colts being involved as well is just like another thing altogether. How how do you feel then? So I guess moving away from the the I guess we'll call them foreign teams for now, but um, the Colts. How do you personally feel about that? Uh, I'd much rather. I think to be fair, it's happened this season, but I'd much rather see more lower league and lowland league and highland league clubs involved, mm-hmm. um, just to give them more of a chance to to play against clubs of a higher level obviously because at the moment in those two leagues there's there's only that potential one place from both of them that's coming up to the league so it gives them a chance to kind of test themselves a little bit more uh, and I don't really see the Colts I feel we could do a whole other podcast on Colts you probably have done at <laughs> yeah. some point but um, but yeah I think the Colts is not really the answer to the question that is being touted around as to why they're trying to get into the leagues or being involved in the in the Challenge Cup. Yeah, for me just now it feels like um, you know we've seen a number of um, Premiership teams pull their teams out of the Reserve League, um, so putting the Colts into the Cup competition, I think it needs to be an overall sort of reform of how we develop our younger players and what the setup looks like within, within Scotland, and I'm not sure that this... I'm not opposed to it personally, but I can see why people are, but yeah, it needs the the full youth football setup in Scotland feels like it's it's at a bit of a, a standstill and and needs a you know a new plan um, to take it forward. But I, that you're right, that is something that could could lead us down a rabbit hole for the next forty five minutes. But yeah, definitely. But yeah, for now we'll leave that. What are you what What are you sticking in the Mariana trench? What am I sticking in the Mariana trench? Oh, I didn't I didn't yeah. even think of that. Um, well. I, I've always had a really soft spot for Newcastle and right now it is Mike Ashley for me. Um, <laughs> I um, The first ever game of football I went to was um, Newcastle versus Leeds and uh, Les Ferdinand scored um, for Newcastle. And when I see the, the passion that those fans have and how much of a horrible bastard Mike Ashley is, yeah, so for me I'll just stick with that because you've caught me off guard with that. Um, so <laughs> Mike Ashley and the Mariana Trench will maybe fill it up himself. Yeah, so... Um, I guess moving on to something a bit uh, a bit more breaking news that happened today um, in Scottish football, there was the announcement by St Mirren that uh, Oren Kearney had left by mutual consent. So, Chris, I know that you're a Morton fan, um, <laughs> so this probably isn't the best club for you to be speaking about, but what was your sort of thoughts on Oren Kearney and that announcement? Yeah, I mean, I can't believe you're... Well, this happened today, obviously, and I can't believe... I'm on and we're talking about something. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I think to be fair, I think he did a good job. Um, he did what was probably asked from him and to keep them up. Um, although you do look at it and he had um, basically the entirety of the season um, 
in, in the long run. He did have a mess that he inherited in terms of the playing staff, but if you've got... And it, it, to be fair, he didn't have the pre-season either. Um, but then when you do look at it, he did have a lot of a portion of the season um, in the same way that McKinnon did at Falkirk as well and still took them down. Um, just needed to shoehorn that in there. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I think it's... I, I can't really get my head around it that he's just leaving because the club don't want him to commute from Northern Ireland. Yeah, I'm not sure I'm fully bought into this either. Um, so you're right on a couple of points you mentioned there. He did have the full season, which, um, you know, what 18% win rate is what he finished on, which is poor, it's plain and simple. Um, but I really do feel that he was majorly hamstrung with what he inherited. It wasn't that he just he inherited a broken squad... Um, a disorganised squad, the players they had and where they were bringing them from, it was a really, really low standard. Um, and I think, uh, was it Cole Kepka? After he left St Mirren, he went to, was it Billy Cray Town? And he was voted the worst player for Billy Cray Town. Um, I don't even know what division they're in. Um, but that should say a lot about the standard of players that Alan Stubbs brought in. Um, and the, I guess for me, the, the thing that stood out for me was I actually thought Kearney showed signs of some um, pretty good recruitment. Um, Popescu and Hladke in particular, that's two players that myself and Owen um, both highly rated and I think um, you know maybe with the pre-season Kearney could have kicked them on but I do worry about the the background uh, of St Mirren with uh, Tony Fitzpatrick. Um, what was he said at the start of the season about St Mirren or uh, should be challenging for top four? Did I not say you wanted him to win the league by like twenty twenty one or something like that? I the guys can we get yeah, Tony Fitzpatrick in the Mariana trench as well, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just do that. Um so yeah, that was that was a bit of a strange one and the sort of it doesn't Kearney's statement starts with um I'm gutted but my time was up. Just doesn't feel like that's his decision. That's how he opened it. Um so make of that what you will. Um but the latest news tonight, uh, just in the last couple of hours, is that Jim Goodwin is the has had a sorry St Mirren have had a, um, an approach accepted by Alloa to speak to Jim Goodwin. Do you think that would be a good appointment, Chris? Yeah, I think from like a purely selfish standpoint, I'd probably quite like him to leave Alloa, um, just because they beat us three times in the league last season. Okay. Um, so it would hopefully weaken um, Alloa a little bit because I think he's a really good manager. Um, he obviously did really well last uh, last season there, keeping them in the championship. Um, and he's he's surely the like standout candidate because with his kind of ex uh, playing career there as well. Yeah, it makes sense from a from the fans' point of view. I think um, it felt like Kearney was um, quite well respected by the St Mirren fans, and that um, they had quite a lot of faith in him. Um, so I think losing a character like that to replace him with Jim Goodwin, who they also will have you know mutual similar feelings for um it does make sense for St Mirren I guess but yeah well, I guess that's one that we'll we'll wait and see how that develops um a bit like uh maybe it won't be as crazy as the the David Turnbull saga what's um what the hell's going on there is that one of the strangest transfers that you've ever seen I genuinely have no idea what's happening with this transfer and I've been following it since it started wait <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, he obviously had a great season last season for Motherwell. Um, it looks as though he's going to Celtic, and then you get 
the Celtic statement, which you guys, um, I think, spoke about last week yep. um, on the podcast. And you guys were talking about how Norwich is a really good destination for him. He's obviously um, going down there. They can offer a little bit more money than, than Celtic in terms of wages and probably a little bit more for Motherwell um, in the transfer fee. And then he seems to reject Norwich and have a Celtic medical. And then I think today has it come out that he's supposed to be carrying a, a knock that needs surgery? Yeah, um, so the, the latest news is that he will require a minor operation which could have him out for 10 to 12 weeks. And because of this, Celtic have went back to Motherwell apparently and asked for a renegotiation of the deal um, based on the player being out for 10 to 12 weeks. I... I really feel like um, this is doing Celtic PR no good whatsoever. Um, it's all becoming, for me personally, I think it's coming a little bit embarrassing. Um, the full fiasco has been one of the most publicly dealt transfers I think I've ever seen. Um, you know, C- Celtic and Motherwell. So Motherwell originally leaked that they, they'd accepted, or didn't leak, they announced that they'd accepted a bid, which I guess put Celtic into a position. Uh, and I'm not sure if that's, that was a tactical decision by Motherwell to try and encourage further bids or, or something like that. I was thinking from Motherwell's perspective, they, they potentially have to do it because obviously they're a fan-owned club. Sure, I guess that's true, I suppose, yeah. So keeping the fans like properly up to date is something that if I was them and, and obviously speaking from the kind of marketing side of things and, and following that side of the game in Scotland, like Alan Burrows and, and Motherwell are a club that you should probably look at and say they're very well run um, and so many other clubs probably want or should want to kind of aspire to be uh, run like and, and kind of look to, to how they operate and yeah I was thinking it from that perspective like Motherwell probably have a bit of a duty to keep their fans uh, up to date with what's happening with, with things like that yeah, I guess that that's probably is a fair point. But yeah, the things that have transpired after it has just been it's not I don't think it's been great for anyone. Um I also think the fact that um for the player, I guess, does it put unnecessary pressure on him if he does sign for Celtic? Or even if he doesn't, is he under unnecessary pressure? Um, just with how publicly this has been. Yeah, it's been so strange. I think even that like the, coming back to that first Celtic statement that they put on well, not even a statement, just a couple of tweets. Like the the thread of two tweets, yeah. um, it was just it it just backs him into a corner, and kind of Celtic fans are obviously so tribal that if Turnbull does eventually sign for them, then he probably needs to perform very well to get kind of Celtic fans back on side again. If he if he looks like he's going to reject Celtic, and then speaks to Norwich and then rejects Norwich and comes back to Celtic. And yeah, I think he, he probably does need to kind of hit the ground running almost when he when he does eventually get fit if he if he does sign for Celtic. Yeah, it's a it's a strange one. The only other strange transfer that springs to my mind in Scottish football, and there you know what, there's actually been a lot actually now that I think of it. But uh, one that that just quickly stood out for me was I don't know if you'll remember this, but um, when Mario Jardel had signed for Rangers, um, and then the deal was cancelled almost within 24 hours. I don't know if you remember that. Was that like after he'd scored loads of goals in Portugal? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, so it was just after I think his his first season in, at Porto. Um, it was a 15 million pound deal to Rangers, which then collapsed 24 hours after he'd been uh, pictures had been posted of him wearing the Rangers training top, which. How that happened, I would love to know. But um, 
yeah, Turnbull's up there with one of the strangest transfers in, in I guess, recent times uh, in the Scottish football transfer market. So, yeah, we'll wait and see how that one goes. I guess, quick final question on that one. Will he or won't he sign for Celtic? Putting you on the spot. I I think he will, but I, I don't know how much for. Okay. Because Motherwell will be disappointed not to get uh, the kind of fees that were obviously being spoken about before this seemingly injury got discovered. I kind of don't really want him to sign for anybody. Like I think he'd be really beneficial to get a full season under his belt at Motherwell. Um, and you guys were you guys were obviously talking about a loan for him last week. Um, even if Celtic signed him, they probably could just loan him back to Motherwell. I don't see why that's a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably a fair shout. Um, I hope that part of me wants him to stay at Motherwell just so he can become a, an absolute pantomime villain because that would be outstanding. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll we'll wait and see what happens in that one. I think you're right though with your general point of he he needs more game time under his under his belt, and if he can't. Get that Celtic, who do have quite a bloated squad, especially in the, the more advanced midfield positions, um, it could be difficult for them. Talking talking of the Colts earlier, I think I'm right in saying that both Turnbull and Hasty played for Motherwell Colts in the Challenge Cup last season. Wow, I didn't actually know that. They keep the Colts in the Turks Caramel Wafer Cup, but <laughs> um, there's your proof, there's your evidence. So yeah... Um, Chris, we're going to move on to something which is um, a bit more in your world. So I've got some questions that have came in um, from our listeners, followers, um, about some marketing uh, things that they've they've wanted to, to find out about. So I'm going to put you on the spot with some of these. So we got a question in from James Mackey, who is at Jamesy Mack, who asked, what works in other sports that football clubs could take advantage of but maybe haven't considered? Yeah, I saw this question and I think... The, off the bat, I think that you look at kind of sport in America and it's kind of the pinnacle of sports marketing. Um, that's where a lot of the money is, the kind of fees that they're bringing in from commercial side of things and sponsors, but then the things that they're doing and the teams that they've built in terms of their marketing activity. And I'm talking even in even MLS here, um, the uh, I think you you're well aware and you've spoken about it a few times even on Twitter, um, but what they do um, is is so impressive. Um, obviously, a, a newer league you maybe don't have that history behind you, um, but looking closer to home, I think I would I was going to take it from kind of a bit of inspiration from the clubs in Glasgow and talk about them. So you've obviously got Glasgow Warriors, you've got Glasgow Clan got Glasgow Rocks and then you've also got Glasgow Tigers who have been paying a bit more attention to recently the Speedway team um, and they've all managed to build kind of pretty solid fan bases from basically nothing uh, all really new-ish teams um, in what is obviously Glasgow which is like a very big city plenty of people to target but one of the most passionate football and cities in the world probably um, and what they've managed to do is kind of make going to their matches more of an experience um, so I've been to the Emirates Stadium for a, a Rocks match I've been to Scottsdale for a Warriors game and I've been to Brayhead Arena for the Glasgow clan um, haven't made it to the Speedway guys yet but do really want to um, and the atmosphere is so different I think um, one of the things that one of the major differences is that you can obviously buy alcohol 
Um, but it isn't just that. I think that it's really difficult to actually put your finger on. Like they're they're all obviously enclosed. Um, so the ones that I've been to anyway, it's they're all inside. Um, there was more families there. All of these things, and then kind of the spectacle of the game as well. Obviously, basketball is a very different game. Ice hockey is very fast paced. Uh, Warriors is a little bit similar to football, but um, yeah, I think it's they just have managed to very impressively build fan bases, solid fan bases, and especially in the case of the Warriors, I think they're trying to extend Scotland's um, uh, capacity for this season too. So what they've managed to do is just really kind of go grassroots almost and target target families, target kids. Um, I think that was the biggest thing that I noticed from, from being at those matches is it's so many more families there. Um, you do get, obviously, a lot of families attending football matches as well, but not to the same extent. Do you think that's because of the the environment? So I guess in, in football, um, it can be quite hostile at times and, you know, Albeit we ca- you can't buy drink at the games, but you tend there's a perception you know around about people going to the pub before a game, getting tanked up for going to the game, and then that hostility makes it you know a difficult environment for people to want to bring in younger kids too. Do you think that's what maybe drives that? Maybe a bit of that, probably a bit of the facilities as well. So obviously there's so many differences in stadiums across Scotland. Um, you've got the kind of five star venues of the the big the big teams in Glasgow. Uh, and Scotland as well at Hamden but at lower down the leagues you go you, you're you a young kid do you really want to be going and standing on a terrace um, in, in the cold um, these clubs are, are obviously in, in Glasgow Clan and Glasgow Rocks's case it's a kind of cush environment where you're inside it's warm um, you can get all the kind of uh, well you can buy you can buy drink like I said already you can kind of get all the merch that you want inside the stadium as well um, everything is inside it's a little bit more of a relaxed environment yeah coming back to what you said in terms of it maybe not being I definitely saw no hostility at all um, when I when I went to the matches and I, yeah I don't go every week and I've, I've only been a couple of times but it, it wasn't evident at all um, and I, I wouldn't like to tar football with that brush like I don't think sure. I don't think it's a major thing that I've certainly seen across every single football match that I ever go to. Yeah. Um, obviously, there is standout um, aspects of that that does happen, but but yeah, I think there's definitely plenty of inspiration to be taken from other sports, um, and you do see some clubs doing that. I think going back to St Mirren, they've they've got quite a close relationship with Glasgow Clan, and I've seen them steal a few things. Um, I think the same as the same can be said for Wraith Rovers uh, and Fife Flyers as well. Like they've stolen a few things from ice hockey in terms of, I think they call it an ice hockey like chuck a puck, um, but you could basically like uh, in football you kind of throw a foam ball uh, at the mascot and whoever gets closest like wins a prize and stuff like that. Um, it's just kind of little things like that that make or kind of add to the overall experience. Um, and I think yeah, there's there's plenty that you can take from our sports. Just quickly uh, on the points you made there, did you notice there was much of a difference in terms of costing in comparison? Probably quite similar. Mm-hmm. Tickets are were a little bit cheaper, but when you get there, kind of obviously the refreshments and things like that um, are much much of the same. 
Okay. Uh, I was just wondering if maybe these sort of, um, you know, the ice hockey, uh, basketball, etc., whether they offered more family deals, which were in terms of their tickets. I can't say that I've ever been to any of these sort of games, so I was just curious around about that. But I guess that's some really good insight, again, into, into some of the things that um, some of our clubs could, could look at. So the next question came in from Matthew Palfreman, who wrote a really good article on your website. So uh, Matthew asked, "What clubs are using targeted advertising? Well, if there are, uh, sorry, if there's any at all, is this something more clubs should be looking to utilise?" I think this is quite a tricky one because obviously it's difficult to know what clubs are using it unless you're actually being targeted with with the advertising, mm-hmm. um, or unless they're just kind of broad targeting. Like I think a lot of the time, uh, if you're on uh, Instagram, for example, Scottish FA are kind of going quite hard at the moment um, in terms of trying to flog some tickets for the upcoming uh, Euro qualifiers. Um, and they seem to be going relatively broad with it. But I know that they, from obviously speaking to Michael quite a bit, I know that they do segment down um, and target kind of specific audiences that they've, they've built up. Um, and I know they, they do email um, the Scotland Supporters Club quite a lot, obviously, to kind of push that. Um, and really get them coming to all the matches. Uh, yeah, I did. Kind of leading on from my last answer as well. Like, I've only, I've only been to that one rocks game, um, but I bought my ticket online. I entered in my details, obviously, and I'm very regularly kept up to date, kind of via email with like the latest news around the club, being encouraged to buy more tickets for the upcoming um, kind of matches that are coming in. Um, I think that's a massive kind of open goal that clubs don't take advantage of in Scotland uh, I think they probably a lot of them probably don't have like databases of their season ticket holders and um, if some of them do they maybe don't use them to the kind of full capacity I don't think you need to uh, complicate it in terms of what I just said in terms of segmenting your fan base into different types of users or speaking differently to young fans versus older fans versus people who have been season tickets for, for years and years you don't need to do that. Obviously, it can be can be done um, and could perform better if that did happen. But just update the fans that you've got in an email database. Like, attempt to sell them some merchandise that they maybe haven't bought yet. Or if you know that they've not got a season ticket, or if you know that they're not coming every week, then attempt to try and get them along on Saturday. Um, send them an email, and uh, yeah, I think. There's definitely more to be done here, but some clubs are taking advantage of it, but but definitely not as many as should be. So some you know great advice again, and and if you like what you're hearing from Chris again, I'd I'd highly recommend you subscribe to his podcast, um, as he mentioned at the start of the show, and and you can pick up even more uh, around these sort of factors. And uh, yeah, one final listener or sorry follower question that came in was from Rampant FM who asked Chris. Which team do you like more, Greg Morton or Linlithgow Rose? <laughs> um, I've met Rampin a few times because he's obviously kind of from the like lower league podcast and things like that now. So, um, for for the interest of the answer, um, I am a massive Morton fan. So my dad and all his family kind of grew up in Greenock, um, but for my basically entire life, I've lived in Linlithgow. Um, so the Rose are my local club, um, and I do go along to them uh, occasionally but definitely not as many as Morton games as I've been to so I am a Morton fan but the Rose are my local club. 
Excellent, excellent. So I guess that leads us on quite nicely, Chris. You're actually doing some work with Greenock Morton just now, is that right? Yeah, but it's not with the club um, directly, but but yeah, uh, I, I do tend to, to take like a very neutral stance when I'm talking about sports market side of things, but I am a Morton fan, like I just said, and like we said earlier too. So um, helping out with the Morton Club Together initiative, uh, which got launched like a few months back by one of the fans called Graham McLennan, um, Morton held like a fan event uh, basically kind of the directors were speaking at it and taking questions from the fans uh, and, and kind of following that event he took it upon himself to launch uh, quite what I thought at the time was an ambitious effort uh, to give Morton fans kind of the opportunity to pledge money on a monthly basis uh, and eventually we would get a, a stake in the club and a seat on the board um, the target was like £400,000 over a quite a short period of time uh, there was, I would say, a few initial issues with the with the website and things like that. Um, but the speed of getting that up was probably the the main thing. Um, and the kind of initial pledging period just finished last week when we recorded this. Um, and we managed to get over four hundred fans uh, pledging and got to one hundred and sixty thousand pounds, which is obviously a bit a bit away from the four hundred target. But I don't think it's that bad at all. Um, especially when you consider kind of more in average attendances um, over the last few years. So, um, yeah, the the kind of period to pledge still remains open. Um, and yeah, fans, if they like what they see and they they like kind of where the where it is going, um, they can decide to pledge at any time. Um, and that money's going straight into the club um, from kind of the first of August. Um, and it's going straight to helping obviously David Hopkin, new manager. Um, get a few extra players in before the transfer window closes that he might not have been able to uh, if we hadn't kind of clubbed together on this. That, that sounds excellent, and I think you're right. Uh, 160,000 pounds raised. Um, I think that's an incredible. You know, considering if you've had technical issues when you look at the the fan base size, um, and actually, I think what you just mentioned is probably spot on there because I think Morton's recruitment so far has been quite impressive um, under Hopkins. I've, I've liked what I've seen. Yeah, I saw you I saw you mentioning that you've, you've been quite uh, quite impressed with it so far on Twitter the other day. Yeah, I th- and I think even the, the appointment of David Hopkins itself was, was a fantastic one and I know he's got, um, you know, an affinity with the club. Um, so, you know, if you can... I think that's the sort of thing that can... You know, you've got Hopkins, who's a former Morton player... Um, You've got the fans are maybe more encouraged to get involved in, uh, you know, a situation like that, like you're talking about, uh, and invest in, in the club where they maybe wouldn't have been had it been a manager they didn't have that connection with, um, and they'll maybe have that bit of you know, pride and and proper tribalism when it comes to um, feeling like they're doing their part for um, the future of Greenock Morton. So yeah, um, sounds great and I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that progresses. Um, one thing that I'm not happy about from just quickly on Morton is, um, and it's maybe not Morton himself, but Aidan Nesbitt has got the worst haircut in Scottish football. I just, thought <laughs> I'd have, I just have to call that out. Um, to be fair, I think it's actually improved from what it was like when he went down to MK Dons, um, where he had kind of... I don't know. I don't know if he's still got a ponytail. I think it's just quite long now. Um, but he did have a ponytail at some point when he was still at Morton on loan before. So hair, hair is really important to me when it comes to footballers. Um, for anyone that's listening or has been a regular listener, they will find this out. And I normally love 
you know, uh, extravagant, uh, eccentric-esque hair, um, but Aiden is, but it's just not acceptable. Um, so yeah, um, Chris, so we're, we're talking about, um, you know, mostly in your world, all things marketing um, and fan engagement, etc. Um, so what sort of things have you seen this summer that have um, impressed you from clubs? Or has there been anything in particular that stood out in terms of something that a club has maybe... Uh, implemented from the previous season that, that you've seen? Yeah, I've got quite a few um, examples. Um, not all of them are like kind of specific things, but I think there's definitely a few kind of standouts and what can be noticed from, from this side of things recently. So uh, first thing is that I think maybe second half of last season, um, Aberdeen hired a guy called Ross McLeod, who's a videographer. Um, at the club uh, and he's kind of taken the social content to what I would think is the next level in, in what was already kind of a good market team at Aberdeen uh, we spoke to their marketing manager Scott Gormel on, on our podcast um, with the Scottish FA and we were talking about DNA, which is their kind of membership scheme um, obviously very interesting but uh, last season I was I felt like I was constantly praising them um, because they, they kept highlighting some of the amazing work that their community trust does um, which I think they've got one of the most successful uh, community trusts across all the, the trusts in, in Scotland and Scottish football. Um, and I think kind of what, from what I've seen over the summer, um, they will probably go on from kind of strength to strength next season too in terms of their video content. So um, they did a, a bit of a, a kit launch for their, for their away kit, um, which if I'm being critical was maybe a little bit too long um, to, to get it but it was quite fun in terms of uh, like the mascot and some of the players were involved in like a painting competition not sure if you saw it um, but but yeah that, that away kit is, is a bit of a cracker oh, yeah. if you've not seen that either the gold one so. yeah it's an absolute stunning kit an absolute stunning kit I actually feel like uh, just in kits in general this, this year a lot of Scottish clubs have done really well yeah is there anything else that stood out for you Chris? Aye, I've got loads you might want to you might want to uh, strap in yeah okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, on on kits as well. I want to shout out Stenhouse Muir. Um, have Have you seen them? I've not seen the Stenhouse Muir kit. I will bring it up right now, though, as we're speaking. Oh, they are absolutely beautiful. Um, they launched them with quite a funny wee video as well, um, which was launched quite quite a few weeks back now. Um, but I think obviously Stenhouse Muir, like you think about the circumstances, relegated into League Two. I think. The, the wee clubs like this and I hope I'm not doing them a disservice by saying that but I'll always like applaud the clubs like that that give these kind of things a go um, like I don't think they need to be totally polished and they need to be looking incredible and like a professional's done them but just doing something like that kind of makes you just sit up and take notice of, of the club and and maybe look at these kits um, that you maybe wouldn't have looked at um, previously yeah, I've, I've literally just pulled up the actual Stenish Muir kit. It's, oh, that away kit is stunning. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Yeah, that's a really nice kit. Ah, yeah, that's cool. Um, sorry, I was, I was I should have been paying more attention to you there. But, um, <laughs> yeah, so um, is there anything else that stood out for you, Chris? Anything you want to, to finish up on in terms of things you've been impressed with? Yeah, I think as well, um, I wanted to shout out two of the smaller clubs as well. So BSC Glasgow, um, I... I've spoken to Michael um, quite a bit who kind of uh, manages all their kind of comms and marketing activity um, and he's got a bit of like a quirky like tone of voice on social uh, which I really like 
um, and they've kind of they've been encouraging anybody to pay a fiver for the opportunity to sponsor kind of the players and coaches this season. You know how clubs normally do that and and kind of encourage businesses and things like that to get involved in that. So basically, anybody can pay a fiver, um, and you'll be put into a draw, and you basically be chosen at random if you want to sponsor one of the players or coaches this season. You might not get any. But you've you've obviously just helped a club out by, by giving them a fiver, so it's quite an interesting wee thing. Um, uh, and they obviously, well, they don't have a home. They've been playing at, at Alois uh, Recreation Park, um, and their tagline for this season seems to be "History is overrated," um, which I quite like. Um, obviously, some of our Scottish clubs have amazing histories behind them, and they, they probably should be shouting more about what what they've done in the past, but quite like that BSC are kind of running with that um, and, and they're not they, they don't have a huge history, history to, to shout about or or to use in, in their marketing going forward so they need to be doing these kinds of things to get to get noticed almost and I think it's definitely worked um, so far for them Yeah I, th- I think BSC are someone that I always see on social media and I, I'm always impressed with um, the outputs that come from them. Uh, one team that I wanted to give just a very quick shout out to was Kelty Hearts for two things um, the first thing was that they've now gone contactless and it's such a, a small thing but I think you know um, when you're talking earlier on about um, you know wanting to do things online we live in a world now where convenience is everything um, and the fact that they've acknowledged that and at such a, a lower level of, of football with I know Kelly are, are pretty well run in terms of the funding that's behind them, but to me that seems like a wise investment. Um, and, you know, if you're thinking, for example, if you're thinking, say, someone forgot to lift cash before they go into the ground, you know, if that encourages them to buy a pie and a bovril that they wouldn't have bought, you know, because they didn't have cash on them, that's, that's you know, great. It increases their revenue. So a really smart uh, move by them and... Another shout out to Kelty for um, actively encouraging um, fans to, you know, create a, a Kelty Hearts Ultra Group and how they would support them and back them. I thought that was really nice to see. Yeah, definitely, hundred percent agree with with both of those things. I think the the contactless thing is something that um, it annoys me to be honest with you. Like so many clubs should have that facility, um, and they don't. And and every time I'm going to a match now, I, I don't have a season ticket at Capolo obviously and like I said I, I live in the Lithgow so I'm quite a wee while away um, and I do find myself going to more away games and home games just because of the convenience um, and I'm constantly just having to go to a cash line before a match because you don't tend to need that much money in your wallet anymore these days because you're just constantly tapping and, and on the go so it's just an inconvenience to get to get cash out to go to a football match these days so yeah totally agree with, with that one Yep, totally, totally. Um, so, Chris, earlier on, the, and you mentioned that um, Motherwell are a club that teams should look towards um, for their their market and their social media outputs. Is there any other clubs that you feel do a particularly good job? In terms of one that like doesn't have any money whatsoever to use, then you've probably spotted Clyde Bank. Mm-hmm. Um, they so David Brockett is is the kind of comms and marketing guy there um, and he's probably going to get a big head because I, I do talk about him quite a lot um, but he continues to do like brilliant things with, with basically no money at all like I said um, and clubs at a, 
probably all levels, even the top clubs, should be looking at him and what he does at Clydebank as like an inspiration um, for anybody looking to create create content and the visual side of things. He, he does quite a lot. He's basically taught himself like um, After Effects and Photoshop and things like that. Um, so he's always trying to improve Clydebank's output. Um, and I think if he doesn't already, because they, they do have quite a big audience, obviously they're... A, a, a club that does have a history in, in Scottish football uh, in the opposite to BSC but um, yeah I think if you've not spotted anything that Clydebank do then definitely take a look at that Yeah I think um, I actually spied Clydebank earlier um, I was quite impressed I don't know if you've seen it or not but it was the tweet that they, they posted just for their, their first five for six fixtures I can't remember exactly what it was um, but just the graphics looked really slick it didn't look cheap or trashy um it looked really nice and then i also noticed that they had a a mobile calendar which i thought you know what it's pretty cool it's something that i feel i've not seen a whole lot of from clubs yeah um so yeah without knowing um you know the specifics of the the individual you're speaking about that is a club that yeah that does deserve a little bit of a shout out so yeah go follow clyde bank um if you don't already um cool any other clubs or anything you want to give a quick shout out to chris I think just a few like general points in terms of you mentioned it already with with Kelty trying to encourage the ultras group, but but getting fans involved so much more, um, there isn't really an excuse for you not to do that if you're at a club like you've got a an active, highly loyal audience right in front of you, um, that you can ask anything to and they will give you an answer because they love your football club that you work for, um, so like get them along to the stadium, um, just ask them what they want to see, how they want to hear from the club. Um, you you just briefly mentioned fan engagement earlier on as when we were introducing the podcast and, and that's something that is should be um, kind of used so much more by the clubs in Scotland because the core fans that attend your matches week in, week out, like they are so close to the club um, and especially the lower down the leagues that you go. Um, they will probably help out with, with basically anything that you, you ask them to, um, which I think is something that, yes, it can get exploited in some in some ways, like if there's a, maybe a voluntary role that, that probably should be a paid role, um, then that does happen in some cases. But if you're just looking to, to kind of ask some opinions of from the fans, then definitely by all means would encourage that all the time. Cool, and I guess that leads on to just my final question before we wrap up. What would you say are the basic principles, if if there are any, um, that teams should look to apply when trying to market their product or sell their brand? Um, is there anything you feel are just a, a couple of pillars that are worth sharing? Yeah, I think, well, fan engagement, obviously the big one, like we, like we just said, that, that should be huge and it should be really high up. Um I think just an example of that and another example that I've got, but like Hibs, um, since Kenny Miller um, moved from the Scottish FA, obviously used to be a journalist at the Scottish Sun, since he joined the club, obviously he's a big Hibs fan, um, but they've got so much closer to their fans on Twitter. Um, there's like little in-jokes, they're, they're constantly replying to them, engaging with them on Twitter. It's just little things like that that can go like a massively long way. Um, and yeah I think obviously their community foundations the kit sponsor this season as well so I think we'll see so much more of them 
um, kind of involving the fans, getting involved in the local community, um, which should be something, like I said, that, that clubs do so much more of um, if they don't already. Um, the, the Probably one of the other things is you've got players and you've got the coaches at the club as well. Like A, a lot of clubs obviously do give uh, kind of behind-the-scenes content already, but fans nowadays, I would say, probably want a little bit more from that too so um, you've probably read like Players Tribune and Coach's Voice and things like that like those those websites get like amazing access to players but if you're already working at a club you've got that great access open to you already um, so there's there's that opportunity to create some content whether it's a video whether it's just a written piece um, and get shouting about some of the stories behind the players maybe like clubs players don't train 24 7 either so like they, they might have lives outside of football get the fans much more closely connect, connected with the players that are at their clubs and i think that helps um in terms of fans getting kind of much more on side like forming relationships with players they might they might start singing songs about them the players might want to stay um for a little bit longer than maybe what they, they did before i think um one example of that is probably Cedric Kipre from Motherwell. Um, he obviously appeared in quite a lot of Motherwell's content and the fans kind of took him uh, kind of under their arm almost, um, it seemed like. So, uh, yeah, I think that's one thing. Well, another thing that I'd probably encourage. Yeah, I think something that, just on what you're talking about there, I went and spoke to Brian Kerr, who's the assistant manager now at Partick Thistle, but I spoke to him when he was the manager uh, uh, Albion Rovers um, just after um, the video came out from a daily record and uh, when I was speaking to him about his personal life there was a lot a lot of things that came out that I feel you know he was a really relatable guy um, and he'd been portrayed uh, in a video in, in such a specific way and so was his assistant but he had a, a full you know a business that he ran on top of trying to be a football manager on top of still believing that he could go to the highest level in football and being as committed as he could in terms of going to scout players and going to watch games, going to training sessions for his youth, uh, the youth players at Albion Rovers. And I thought that's such a good story. And Albion Rovers, I, I don't want to upset anyone that's a potential Albion Rovers fan, but the club feels like it's on a downer. And, uh, you know, it, it's on a bit of a rise just now with Kevin Harper, actually, to be fair, but... Um, but at that point in time, it felt like they were at rock bottom, and actually, you could have got everyone on side by selling the story of what your manager's trying to do. And even so, they weren't getting the results. Um, you know, what difference would it have made had they been able to get an extra, you know, fifty to hundred fans in the gate? Would they have been able to get more, uh, you know, better quality players in? Would it have, you know, encouraged the players more if the fans have got something that they can relate to? So. That was one that sort of stood out for me of a, a missed opportunity, sort of in terms of what you're speaking about there. Yeah, I totally agree. And like you think of all the clubs that are part time in Scottish football, and I know that a lot of these clubs won't have full time marketing members of staff. But just like a, a random content idea, but all of your players have got jobs outside of football. So yeah, like get a story or follow them around with a camera. Yeah, uh, one day. And, and just see what happens. Um, like there's probably plenty of uh, kind of stuff that you can then share 
um, across like a series if you if you include a few players in it like one of your players might be a postman for example and just like following him around delivering letters talking to whoever he, he does on his on his route totally like I would I would watch that absolutely and I think if you know if you it comes down to you know that makes that person relatable and it makes you like them and it makes you want to back them yeah simple as that I guess a- any final points just before we wrap up well, obviously you can have all the ideas under the sun but clubs do still have a few challenges like I, I know there's like a few clubs high up in the in the leagues that that genuinely think that marketing roles like shouldn't be full time, um, even though there's just one person doing it um, a lot of the time, which is it's which is crazy to me. Um, and you look at obviously Rangers and Celtic as the, the the two highest clubs in the country with the biggest budgets, and they've got a full squad of people working off the pitch in like marketing, commercial communications. They're all probably still working flat out and not getting everything done that they want to. Um, Whereas in some cases there's clubs like it's a voluntary role or they're only part time. Um, I think one of the points that I, I make quite a lot is that what if you didn't make that extra signing before the end of the transfer window that you maybe don't need? What if you what if your club put that those wages towards some some new kit for for the marketing team or even a wage for somebody to come in and do a bit of marketing or do a bit of comms on on social media. Um, it could make a big difference. Absolutely, I, t- I, I fully support that. Um, I think clubs need to be smarter, and they all seem very short term with their approach. Uh, and it's one of my biggest bugbearers. Um, yeah. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna end the episode with just one quick thing. So if you've liked what you've heard from Chris, there's one episode in specific that I'm gonna recommend that you go listen to on his podcast, which you can find. Um, on iTunes uh, under the the Scottish Football Marketing Podcast and it's episode 5, The Fan Experience with Mark Bradley. Um, It's one of my favourite podcasts that I think I've probably listened to in the last 12 to 18 months, hands down. And uh, there's times where I occasionally jump back to it and just listen to it. So if you, you like what you've heard tonight from Chris, then please go and check that out if you haven't already. Um, Chris, where can people find you again on social media? Uh, yeah, uh, at Sports Market School on Twitter um, and the website sportsmarketingscotland.co.uk um, and, and definitely check out that episode with, with Mark Bradley. He speaks, well, he's got so much more experience in this kind of thing than what I do and he speaks so simply um, but brilliantly as well. Um, and, and like you said, he's, he's such an interesting guy. Um, and he's got a big passion for uh, Scottish football as well, which is which is pretty cool. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and if you like what you've heard on this podcast, then please be sure to subscribe, like, share, um, write us a review. It all counts for, for so much. Thank you so much for your time and we'll be back soon.